but we really don't know what's going to be possible. And so the thing that we can do is make the technology work very well and make it low cost and get it into many people's hands. And if we can do that, then we create the highest probability that we will discover useful things that everyone would benefit from. That's a very excellent point. But I guess ask you two points here. About the first one about the technology we have already for brain computer interface. And yeah, there's still a limitation, but if you can tell more about what could be still technology roadblocks in that case to have this reliable measurement. At the same time, the cost, how you can really have a reliable technology and with low cost. It's challenging for you. Um, if you can tell more about that, because it's a very interesting point what you mentioned here. Yeah. We considered that trade-off quite a bit when we were building the technology that the analogy I like to use is that imagine if our brain activity was on a big screen TV. If you do an implantable version, you get uh, a small picture, let's say, of the screen with a 4K fidelity. You see exactly what's going on and you get audio that's representative of that little space, but you miss out on the rest of the screen. You can't see what's going on. So you can't see the whole picture, the whole movie. Uh, if you have a non-invasive device, for example, like what we've built with kernel flow, you see the entire screen, but the images are blurred as is the audio. So you kind of have to squint and listen very carefully to figure out what's going on. You're not going to get the same kind of 4k fidelity you're going to get with an implant. And then our other technology, kernel flux is like watching the screen in 1080p. It's just with a bigger machine. And so there's trade-offs that we've made from an engineering perspective of what technology would be most useful now for the most number of people. There's a lot of work being done on next generation technologies, both invasive and non-invasive that will probably come to market in seven to 10 years. Right now it's either implantable or it's the technology that we've built at Kernel on Kernel Flow and Flux. Great. I've been, I just, I, I don't know if you have any something maybe counterintuitive when try to, yeah, run on invasive technology and measure something. It was something for the result or maybe after testing was counterintuitive. Maybe the way you, you assumed that the result should look like. I don't know if I have any moment like that was surprising or counterintuitive. I have. Actually, I did. I experienced. I participated in a study internally at Kernel last mm. year with one of our prototype systems. The objective was just to bring it up and pressure test it and find out all the ways we could break it. But we ended up finding something interesting, and it was actually something that was intuitive. But it was nice to see confirmational evidence. So in the same way, I I wear uh, a tracker for my sleep, and so when I wake up in the morning, without a tracker, I can. Uh, use self-reflection and say, how do I feel? Do, do I, did I sleep well last night or poorly, uh, poorly? Do I feel ready for the day? But I don't have the granularity that a, a, a sleep tracking device would provide me. A sleep tracking device would show me my different sleep stages. It would show me my uh, sleep onset, how much time it took me to go to sleep. It would show me my wake up uh, after sleep, my WASO. So it gives me uh, you know, six or seven data point, my HRV, it gives me six or seven data points that my self-reflection couldn't capture. Now, even if those are accurate, let's call it to like 70% of a gold standard measurement, 
it's still a higher dimensional data set that allows me to quantify my sleep hygiene and health and allows me to run experimentation on it. So the question we pose at Kernel is if a sleep tracker can provide this higher dimensional of information that allows us to understand our sleep and our habits that contribute to healthy sleep, then what would happen if we looked at cognitive function uh, as a result of sleep? So we did a 13 week study where we measured our, all of us had wearable uh, trackers for our sleep. And then we performed tasks the following day. And the four tasks were uh, short-term memory, impulse control, a resting state, and a reaction time. And interestingly, in the analysis of my results, that it showed that my impulse control or my self-discipline was uh, correlated with the amount of deep sleep I got, total sleep, and sleep onset, the number of minutes it took me to fall asleep. And so in, intuitively, you could say that makes sense. If you get good sleep, you're going to have better self-control the following day. But what, was it, what I found interesting about it is that this data of my brain activity was independently correlated to, uh, my, my brain data was independently correlated to the sleep information. It was not just behavioral. And so I had behavioral data that confirmed it plus brain activity. And so it, it was now an independent information source that provided it. And so that does match up with my experience. And so it, it opened, it was, a, it was an exciting experience for me because I wear a device on my wrist that tracks my activity and sleep, et cetera, because it provides, let's call it a dozen or so data points that I cannot get. We're putting a similar device on the brain with over a thousand channels. And so the question I have is how many vectors of inf information will we be able to acquire about the brain? Will we be able to identify a hundred interesting things, 50, 10, 500, a thousand? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question that we've never had this kind of sensor architecture on the brain in this longitudinal nature. And it, it does invite the question of what can we learn about ourselves with this next generation technology. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. But I'm curious about the resilience and the measurement or redundancy, because we speak about the, sometimes failure could happening, how we can make sure that the measurement, yeah, I don't know, of course, we speak here about, if we speak non-invasive technology, sometimes there are certain electrodes or maybe location you should extract this kind of useful information. For you, the scenario that how you have this kind of intelligence in the device itself, so that in the example you mentioned, it's very, very inspiring that it could change our life to be more conscious about this situation you mentioned. But for you, how you consider that kind of redundancy or resilience in the device itself? So yeah, how that you developed, yeah. But if once from an engineering perspective, when humans have numbers to work with, we do useful things with them. So for example, basic things in society like traffic lights, uh, red, yellow, and green, the timing of those lights are based upon numbers uh, on physics and also numbers we know about humans. So uh, from green to yellow and yellow to red is based upon human reaction time and the physics of breaking in time in a safe manner so that people don't pile up. And so when we do have numbers and when we do have awareness of these systems, 
we build society around it. It's the same reason why we, we have laws that people with a certain alcohol blood level, blood alcohol level can't drive. Mm -hmm. And so if we start acquiring information about the brain that is inaccessible to us today, that, but becomes accessible to us via this device, then it will allow us to rethink society in the, the most fundamental of ways. Uh, everything from the news that is written to the news that we read, to the friends we have, to the style of our learning, to our own personal health and wellness practices, to, I mean, you name it, everything we do as humans uh, would potentially be based upon some kind of, of quantifiable effect in our brain. And so it really, that's why brain interfaces, I represent such a substantial opportunity for society because it really is an opportunity to, to reconsider how we might re-engineer society with data on the fundamental thing that makes us, us. Whereas right now you know, we, we do have this introspective ability, but we're really flying blind in the same way that I would say I was flying blind in my own self-awareness attempt of my sleep before I really had no idea uh, how to go about improving my sleep without being able to conduct scientific experiments every day, uh, do the experiment, quantify the data, do it again. So it just introduces a new level of uh, engineering discipline in how we go about doing this. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm curious about maybe what other maybe 